0: Welcome to the Financial Planners South Africa Podcast, a show dedicated to driving the positive evolution of financial advice, specifically in South Africa. To join a global community of financial advisors, sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion, people and the evolution of wealth management. A global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. AssetMap is a proud sponsor of this podcast. Are you looking for the next big thing in advisor technology? AssetMap is used by thousands of financial advisors to help create more meaningful conversations with clients. See for yourself how AssetMap is leading the next phase of financial advice delivery. Learn more at asset-map.com forward slash Louis for special listener's discount. This episode is proudly brought to you by Alan Gray. They say it's important to live for today. Although that might be true, we can't forget to plan for tomorrow. There's a lot of it left after all. Alan Gray is an authorized financial services provider. Visit www.alangray.co.za to learn how we build long-term wealth for clients. Welcome to another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. Today, I have Leru van Weyck with me in the studio. And we'll be discussing all things compliance. This is not the topic that most people get excited about. So Larue, I'm really happy to have you here to talk and unpack what compliance is, and maybe change the way advisors see compliance in South Africa.
1: Hi Louis, thank you very much for having me. It's a it's honour. I've been enjoying your podcasts, and uh, I'm yeah I'm glad to share whatever I can.
0: So for full disclosure, LaRue is our compliance officer in our practice. So we've been experiencing the way he deals with his clients and the way he delivers his compliance function. And this is not something that people often get passionate about about saying, you know, this is really is a compliance officer that you need to work about, work with and include in your business. But before we get to your role as compliance officer, I want to know how you got to start Etude and, you know, how you got into the financial planning industry. So give us the the background of how Leroux uh, got into financial services.
1: Yeah, Louis, uh, it's uh, not that long a story, but uh, yeah, I don't think anybody finds themselves willingly into the compliance environment <laughs> necessarily. So my uh, uh, background is uh, out of a software development environment, Um where I started uh, working for the Stellenbosch University um, in, uh, in South Africa, uh, developing a um, online learning platform as part of a team for them. Um, I uh, progressed from there to working for one or two other software development firms as well, uh, where I've designed systems and, and basically focused on, on database design and, and process design and so on. And um, it was um, about five years or so down the line that I was uh, approached by a financial advisor out here in Somerset West, uh, where I also stay. And um, you know, he came to me and said, listen, um, he's got a need uh, to manage his uh, client base. He needs to uh, uh, have a better CRM system, a customer relationship management system. And uh, he'd like to know whether I would join forces with him. And uh, yeah, it was a very easy move to make. Um, getting out of the uh, little bit corporate environment of uh, the University and, and going into the financial services industry, which at that time, I did not know anything about. Um, I worked for him for about five years, uh, developing a CRM system. Um, and In that time, I really discovered what the financial services industry was all about. Um, I found my way um, becoming a shareholder in that business of his um, and as the system developed, um, you know, I also quickly realized the, um, the additional um, requirements uh, that's imposed on a financial advisor, other than just, you know, software de- development and, and my scope of, of, uh, of expertise. So yeah, I raised my hand as one of the shareholders to take on the job of an internal compliance officer. <laughs> Not knowing fully full well what it what it entails, but I did realise that there was a there was an, a need for it, and uh, yeah, there was some some urgency to, to get some of the to compliance requirements in place. So from there, I um, yeah, I uh, consulted with uh, some external compliance practices. Uh, I applied to become an internal compliance officer myself. I managed to get approval um, just about when the phase act uh, came into uh, uh, into being, and then yeah, we uh, we started developing processes, and uh, and yeah, it was about probably two years down the line that I realised. But you know, having one uh, environment that you need to become uh, get compliant with is quite easy, but there's no real challenge in it. So um, I decided to to sell out and 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 open up an independent uh, compliance practice. Um, and offer that service to uh, whoever else is uh, is is willing and able to to have me. So yeah, from there on, that's that's the start of Etude. Uh, I was very shortly after joined by uh, my partner, currently Talita Willifield, uh, who has a very very uh, broad legal background. But I won't get into that in too many detail. But suffice to say, from there, um, yeah, it grew to where we are at the moment.
0: I love the fact that you know the legal background and. More joint forces with the information technology side we often hear this question you know as a financial planning practice do we build our own technology or do we buy something off the shelf and this company brought you in to say let's develop our crm if we can maybe unpack that a little bit how was the outcome of you you know spending 5 years building internal systems did it work and what's your view on building versus buying <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, and that was a very interesting uh, conversation I had with uh, with my partner at the time because um, he was uh, he was quite a bit older than I um, was at the time um, and he had come from, um, you know, uh, an agency environment, uh, the old Southern life, um, and he was very aware of, you know, the need to to go digital. Uh, I mean, I remember spending weekends with him where we scanned files to put it all in electronic format. So for him, um, he quickly identified... Um, to his, you know, uh, created the 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 need for a system. Uh, he consulted with me. We had a couple of conversations in terms of you know using off the shelf uh, software systems uh, that can be used to to just maintain that relationship with clients. But uh, it was me. I was the one who pushed him to say, "Listen, let's let's develop something customized because each business has a unique requirement." Uh, and that's unfortunately the problem that we have today. I, I've listened to some of your previous podcasts as well. And uh, a lot of the guys, especially Alan Halton, has um, is, is intimated to the fact that there's, there's no simple single solution uh, that will fit all of all of financial advisors. And, and I absolutely agree with that. But I do think that there is there's different strength in combining multiple systems to come to some form of, uh, of, of solution that fits your specific
0: business. So that kind of best-of-breed approach, pulling these pieces together. Because um, keeping developers in your business is also really difficult. You need to keep them excited, and you also need to keep them paid, which can be a really an expensive resource.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the software developers, uh, as I was reading last night, one of the most highly paid uh, positions in South Africa at the moment because they're sought after. So absolutely, and I, I can tell you most financial advisors – uh, if they do see the need for a software system, they're not going to pay that type of salary for a uh, software developer in-house that does not necessarily generate an immediate income for them. So, um, absolutely, that it is a need. But it, I do have to add as well that, you know, in the last 15, 20 years, a lot has changed with uh, regards to CRM systems out there, accounting systems, um uh, human resource management systems, they can all be integrated nowadays. So it's not a case of having just one uh, system to fit uh, all of your needs. Uh, the key is just um, doing that integration. And, and that's where, where you need that type of expertise.
0: So, Larue, you and Talita started Etude. You have this background of looking at systems and seeing the way a uh, financial planning business runs. What surprised you in those early days of dealing with your clients?
1: <laughs> Louis, I think the most interesting thing was a couple of my clients initially uh, was referring to um, the compliance. Their compliance officer, uh, you know, before I got appointed, and when I was appointed as the the income inhibitor, um, you know, they <laughs> they honestly didn't see any any good come from a compliance officer. Um, and as as we engaged with them uh, both, Talita and myself, we were we were all struck at um, how. Most financial advisors are just executing, you know, what the external sources tell them to do. They, if they get given a generic template, they simply turn around and apply it in their business. If, if there's a 100 documents that they need to implement, they, they will implement 100 documents. They don't ask questions. Uh, and for us, the big thing was that, you know, you want to engage with them. You want to make them understand what it is that you're doing. Um, and they must tell you whether they need it or not within their business once they understand that. Um, so there was a big gap in, in 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 just you know sitting down with them and saying saying to them less is more in this situation um, you know I'm not saying that they, they mustn't be compliant in, in all aspects but having more documentation doesn't necessarily make them more compliant it's how you apply that uh, and how you customize it for your specific business uh, and then that's you know you talk about uh, Talita and the the legal aspect that she brings in um, from my Uh, background and my specific uh, focus, I I can often take away more um, than, um, you know, you actually want um, in terms of streamlining a process. So Talita has been instrumental in saying, hang on, this is academically what we have to have in place. We cannot remove it. We can streamline it slightly, but this and that and this and that is where where we can can trim the edges. Um, So between the two of us, um, yeah, uh, we are really, I think we're a good team. And uh, we really enjoy working together. And we have this dynamic, like you said, where the legal doesn't get too um, of a burden, but the, the system side for me doesn't run away and make things so streamlined that there's no compliance involved.
0: You mentioned that income inhibitor. I've heard someone talk about a business prevention officer, but actually <laughs> it's about you know building a better business, someone from the outside looking in. Can we talk a little bit about you know, what you see go wrong with internal compliance officers, because in South Africa, for the international listeners, you can decide to keep your compliance officer in-house if legislation allows you, or you can appoint an external compliance officer. Yeah, I'd love to hear, because in my mind, there's risks to both, but I'd love to hear how you see that and what you might have experienced. Yeah, that's a very, very good
1: question. I I love answering that because I would fully support any financial advisor who wants to appoint an internal compliance officer. Uh, I say that at my own detriment because I can't uh, uh, act as an internal compliance officer. But, um, you know, the only reason why most of them don't do that is simply because of the cost. Um, If you have the capacity and they have the the, the means to do that, um, absolutely. Find yourself an internal compliance officer and, and, and do that. But then in addition to that, have an external consultant or external compliance officer that can uh, that you can consult with uh, or that internal compliance officer can consult with. Uh, the reason I say that is that internal compliance has the ability to look at every aspect within your business very closely, um, you know, uh, processes, every step of the process, uh, and not just do a random sample uh, once a month or once a quarter or even once a year, um, you know, to, from an external perspective. So having that internal audit uh, as part of your internal compliance function is very, very valuable. Um, what the external compliance officer uh, brings to the party, if I can call it that, is that you have an ex- uh, expert, expert who has scope of a variety of other clients and identifies problems that's common in the industry and can share a solution with your internal compliance officer. So that combination is, is, is very good and very, very handy to have. But in most cases, you know, having an internal compliance officer for a medium to small size business is just not feasible. So you would want your external compliance officer, um, to have multiple compliance officers that he or she can talk to and not just one individual, uh, within Etude as well. We, we often rotate the compliance officer appointed to, um, to an FSP just so that, you know, we don't, we can highlight our own mistakes effectively. And, and you know, a, a compliance officer such as Salita or one of our other compliance officers can come in and have a slightly different view uh, in terms of the interpretation of that specific company, um, whereas I might have the same, but my, my, my explanation to the client is slightly different. So there's definitely scope there to have uh, multiple compliance officers. But, yeah, in response to your question is I would definitely go with both.
0: Yeah, this fresh set of eyes, just trying to see something that we might have been looking or missing uh, all along. I would almost add, you know, the the agency risk to having an internal compliance officer because you're paying that person's salary. Do you find that it's difficult for them to highlight problems when the employer is also the one paying their salary?
1: Yeah, it's a... I, I, I... In, in my capacity as an internal compliance officer, um, I was fortunate that I had uh, direct uh, um, access to to senior management, um, and and that is crucial. Um, having that governance structure in place, where the compliance officer you know, can report anything um, irrelevant, irrespective of the um, of the nature or the severity of it, to 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 senior management or top management. So you, you would hope that if the, an external compliance officer is appointed, that a structure like that is put in place. But absolutely, uh, it does happen. Um, you know, even as an external compliance officer, um, we don't uh, receive our fee from the regulator. We receive it from the actual client. So you can imagine, you know, if, if I annoy a client by reporting, uh, you know, he's threatening to end my, um, contract with him. Um, and that would be my income that's, uh, at stake at the, at the same time. But, um, yeah, fortunately in our scenario, <laughs> the income per individual, per individual FSP is relatively small. So that's not a threat, uh, in, in that sense. Plus, uh, we do have, you know, a good relationship, which you know allows us to engage with our clients and advise them, if anything, of anything before you know it gets escalated or a irregularity report um, is submitted.
0: Yeah, I would imagine you wouldn't want a reputation of a compliance officer, you know, uh, reporting all their clients, but rather working with them to try and prevent, you know, these issues pop up in the future.
1: Yeah, it, it, again, it's difficult because uh, um, the regulator doesn't um, appoint us to be their uh, um, uh, consultant or their uh, face to the client. We don't have any right to decide whether thing, something should be reported or not. Uh, if anything is non-compliant, it must be reported. Whether it's uh, you know, a, a simple transgression or a, a major uh, non-compliance, we can't determine. So we have to report those. But uh, where, you, where we can act uh, in best interest of the of the client is to notify them prior to uh, non-compliance coming into the picture, saying to them, listen, yeah, based on our risk analysis, we can see that uh, your business is growing into this area. This is something we should be concerned over. Uh, let's focus on that. Let's put pressure, put processes in place so that the pressure is off um, in, in, in you know, reaching that uh, that non-compliance um, issue, which we would then be forced to report.
0: Leroux, this role of being a key individual, is there a lot of misinterpretation around what it actually takes? Because when you're starting a financial services practice, you, know, you need to have a key individual in your business, but do people really understand what it is and what it entails before they start a business?
1: Yeah. It, it, a key individual is, 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 is a problem in that you, you put a title on it um, and it, it effectively is the director or the manager of the company, uh, you know, not in, in, in appointment as such, but in responsibility. Um, there, a lot of training um, is being done in, um, within that space to uh, make the individuals aware of their operational and managerial oversight. Uh, within the compliance space of a, an FSP, but um, you know, you would have heard me you know, talk about it out in, a, in past discussions between us that uh, you know our concept of of holistic uh, risk management, regulatory risk management, which incorporates governance and and compliance, um, is where we see the importance. And if you look at that, um, then you know, having an individual over only overseeing. Uh, management of compliance, um, you know, is 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 wrong. Uh, that individual needs to understand that there's a much bigger picture, uh, and they can have the title as key individual, but they have the responsibility of of a director in terms of managing a business, and uh, of a compliance officer in terms of uh, making sure that uh, that the requirements are being met.
0: So this concept of of systems and you know having a business run like a system and your key individual being there responsible to look at the systems in the in the business actually recurs and it makes so much sense why someone with a systems background would uh, would end up in compliance.
1: Yeah, it, it's sometimes difficult because you know not everything fits into a box. <laughs> uh, a process doesn't uh, uh, it doesn't m- make provision for every possible uh, variation on on the, within a business. Uh, so as much as possible, I, I try to, um, to put it into a process and, and make it, uh, understandable and make it repeatable. Um, but yeah, there are, there are some nuances and, and, and definitely where Talita comes in, uh, she, she often highlights those and then we build out the processes to incorporate those. And it is difficult to explain that to a, um, a, a key individual or a manager of a business or a, or a, a director or a shareholder. Just because you know, their primary focus is to to grow the business, uh, they just want to go out, see clients, and uh, and build that relationship. Um, you know, it's it's the typical thing of a, uh, a mechanic not working on his own car. Um, you know, they can build the business, growing, seeing clients, bringing income, but uh, they are neglecting the basics of of good structure, governance, and and, and identification of of compliance frameworks and and uh, requirements uh, that could effectively close their business you know, at the peak of their income.
0: Explain to us the difference between compliance and governance. How would you describe that? For me, it's relatively
1: clear. Um, Again, from a process perspective, uh, governance for me is the structuring of your business and and the management of that structure and how um, each of the various departments, individuals, um, uh, external contractors, parties, all of them, how they coexist within uh, an organisation and how that relationships and everything is managed. Whereas compliance is the set of rules set by, uh, it's not, not the set of rules itself, but the, you know the way in which uh, an organisation adheres to that set of rules which is set out by the regulator through legislation. So it's very, very much different um, in terms of of uh, go- governance because you don't dictate the structure of compliance. It is just something that needs to be executed based on a set of of rules. Um, where it becomes tricky is you have to identify those rules, uh, and which ones are applicable to your organisation, and then apply those. Um, good governance, you know, always will require that there is structure in place and hierarchical. Uh, management um, uh, of staff and um, yeah, and, and management of assets within an organization. So the two um, are vastly different, in my opinion, but they do um, form part of one um, bigger uh, exercise in terms of uh, the better management of a, of a company.
0: Leroux, are you saying that companies are missing the governance piece? The governance piece. They're focusing too much on the compliance and neglecting the governance.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and in 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 most of our engagements, uh, we identify you know basic um, non-compliance or not even an existence of any form of structure, formal structure or or documentation surrounding um, those basic governance aspects. I mean, it's it's often spoken about uh, succession planning, for instance. Uh, yes, it is a it is a compliance requirement to have but it's just good corporate governance to have a succession plan in place um, if you're a a smaller business, especially a sole proprietor. And also, um, you know, an operational ability plan. Uh, I'm not referring to, you know, a legal document that's uh, 50 or 100 pages. I'm just talking about, you know, what's going to happen um, or what can happen uh, in the event of a disaster. How can the business operate? How can they continue operating? Um, you know when that disaster strikes, so there's a couple of things there that that you uh, know that it, it, it does get referenced in various pieces of legislation um and, and is considered to be a compliance requirement but uh, you know if you take compliance out of the equation, um it would be very good to, for any business to have that in place and and that's exactly what governance means
0: so just really good business practices to be able to build a profitable sustainable Business. Absolutely. Leroux, with the shift to kind of outcomes based legislation, we've seen these major changes. You know, everyone's talking or not really talking about Twin Peaks and TCF anymore. Those are terms that you don't uh, hear every day, maybe in the compliance world it is. But how does the governance fit in with outcomes based solutions? Uh,
1: Louis, that's that's an interesting discussion. I think, you know, I remember us having it right right at the beginning as well. Um, It's a for us, we would like to very much see a change within our own client base. Um, some of them have adopted that, uh, a lot of them have not, uh, where your outcomes-based approach is, is, uh, is seen in the business. In other words, where they don't rely on a set of documents uh, that tells them what they must do. They have the actual structure in place and the structure itself Um, is, um, an explanation or a a, a declaration of their, of, you know, of their intent. Um, and, and we try to introduce that with our clients by just talking them through the process. Um, I mean, again, I'm going to use the example of a succession plan. Um, a lot of them don't have that in place, but if you sit down and you talk them through it, you realize they have put all of those measures in place, they have all of the relationships. They've considered that. They've even valued their business, but they haven't gotten down to you know putting it into writing and formalizing it. So we would like to see that part um, you know grow, where, where companies are considering all of those aspects, talking them through, uh, and putting it in place, and then afterwards saying, okay, we have these in place. Let's just formalize it by putting a document in, in you know in place, as opposed to asking a compliance officer. For an example of a succession plan, you know, printing that or putting it onto file, you know, changing maybe a name here and there and then signing off on that. Uh, That's where we would like to see the big difference come in.
0: That's so similar to dealing with a new client in the financial planning world where oftentimes they feel that they have nothing in place. And as you start talking through it, you realize actually there's probably more than what they think. And what I'm hearing is you saying, actually, you know, the businesses have more in place. It's maybe just not well documented. And what comes to mind is what does the regulator want to see when they come and do an audit? Talk us through, you know, maybe your experience with an audit, because that often is something that key individuals might lie awake at night worrying about a phase audit or a FIC audit. I want to hear some of the interesting stories you've experienced, and maybe we can unpack it a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely we the, the,
1: the most recent uh, incident was a, was a FIC inspection we had up in Johannesburg. Um, and it was fascinating. Uh, we have a very good uh, um, a relationship with, uh, with uh, most of the regulators we deal with, uh, um, uh, where there's um, you know analysts involved that we can actually engage with and not just uh, you know a, a help desk. So uh, in, in that specific uh, uh, on-site, um, you know the client had done quite a significant amount of preparation. Uh, you know, which we obviously assisted them to do. We were very specific in saying that we're not going to write the documents. We are, we will help them uh, word it correctly so that they actually say what happens within their organization as opposed to something we type up for them, you know, give it to them, they sign it off and it doesn't reflect their business as such. Um, and so during the onsite, uh, within the first half an hour, the analyst turned around and I was in the meeting as well. And he looked me straight in the eye and said, you've got a good writing style. <laughs> and I said to him, what do you mean? I, I can clearly see you wrote these documents <laughs> your client did not. And, um, yeah, initially I was a bit, uh, worried because obviously, you know, you don't want the, the, the regulator to, to see you helping your client to, to the point where you're leading them on. But, um, you know, after having a discussion, you know, he clearly said to us that he doesn't have a problem in, in, in seeing, you know, touch up, uh, if, I work, if I can call it that, from an external compliance officer. Because that's, that's why we're there. We, we, we help the client uh, as, you know, streamline and, 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 um, and just uh, direct their efforts. Um, if, you know, the first thing he did after that statement was turn around to the client and asked him, you know, what is the process that's documented in there? Show us through, in that specific case, it was the KYC process, take us through the process. Uh, And he was very quickly able to see that the client understood that process. They have access to all the various systems and those systems matched in the actual um, RMCP uh, that he was reading through. So um, it is intimidating because, you know, you have to show the regulator stuff you wouldn't necessarily show anybody else, um, and it's not stuff that you that you might be dealing with on a daily basis. Uh, if they do ask for something like a succession plan, um, you don't have that document open on your desk every day. So you're going to open it, and he's going to say, "Well, I see a name here of a person who you are, you know, um, have had an engagement with. Um, you know, is this person?" available in this meeting uh, and you kind of have to sit back and, oh, I've, I haven't spoken to this individual in about 12 months time uh, let me let me go back and, and and explain the scenario to the regulator so that's that is intimidating and it it does you know make, make us a bit uh, or everybody or even one of us makes it a bit nervous but um yeah the, the point is that every regulator every on-site we've had so far has been very consultative the the regulators have said listen this is what we see. Explain to us in your own words, you know, how it is that you do uh, what you're saying over there. And, and they do go and they match the two to see whether the, the plan or the policy or the procedure is applied within your business. And, you know, if we do have that opportunity to go with the client through those various processes, it's never the case where there's a, there's a mismatch. Um, we would rather, and this is why I'm going to go back to what I said in the beginning is that we would rather take out Processes that aren't used, Um, and uh, instead of having them there, and then the clients ask how does that process work, and then they say, "Well, we've never had to do that." Because the regulator will then ask you, "Well, why do you have it here? You know, what's the purpose of it?" So, yeah, it is. It's not not something that um, that I look forward to every time, but at the end of every one of those meetings, I can tell you, we have a good laugh, and uh, yeah, it's it's always always very constructive
0: so the intention is not to close your doors and stop you from doing business it's to prevent these disastrous outcomes is that right
1: absolutely i mean remember the regulator doesn't want to see the public without financial advisors uh, they want to see the public being advised, and 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 they are also actively you know, promoting uh, the public engaging with uh, authorised financial advisors. So um, if they can prevent from closing your, your your business because of non-compliance, they certainly will do as much as they can to to, to prevent that. But uh, at the same time, you know if they do find a uh, uh, non-compliance that, uh, that that does not meet with their minimum requirements and they will certainly engage and, and take the steps to go further. But again it, our experience has been very much that uh, the engagement with the regulator is very open. Uh, the analysts are always uh, willing to, to provide guidance in, in terms of how it can be uh, mitigated. Um, you know the, their whole approach is issuing a, um, a mitigation plan with remedial steps they give a timeline. Uh, and 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 it's a, it's a it's a well structured process. It's not you know like coming into an office uh, you know, and closing the doors as they leave and you know putting a lock on it, uh, at least not with this on sites we've experienced in the past.
0: That's wonderful to. Hear. Thank you for unpacking that for us. I want to talk a little bit about the unregulated side. We have a lot of people that are quite vocal saying, you know if your advice is not leading to a product, maybe you don't even have to have an F s p. And then you have the other hand where there's financial products. You know, there's the crypto side that's not regulated yet. How do those two meet, and where is regulation going without confusing us too much?
1: Um, it, it, it is always difficult. Um, I, 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 we prefer to engage with with a client on each specific scenario because uh, there is a lot of uh, um, um, a variation in in, in, in each. Uh, approach, um, and the facts you know need to be considered before you know one can can even start to 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 respond to that. But um, I think that a, a common misconception uh, again amongst our client base um, is that um, the, you know they're not offering the, the client is not necessarily going to end up in that financial product, uh, so it doesn't fall within that scope. But unfortunately, that is not true. That the, the advisory component that that they execute. Um, is exactly where the regulation applies. They they've got to consider what it is that they're saying to the client, how they're saying it, how the client it will be impacted. The client might not decide to go, you know, with that advice uh, from your from from you know as, as you conveyed it to him, but they might walk over to an agent or another financial advisor, uh, bringing some of that advice across and then introducing that um, into into their portfolio at a later stage. So it is, it is often, you know, misunderstood. Um, the difference between advice and intermediary services, another uh, common discussion, um, you know, where you are leading the client into investing or taking out of specific policy, uh, you know, that's considered intermediary services. But the, the, the difference is, is, is quite, uh, um, is quite big. It's, it is just very important that, you know, as financial advisors, um, you have to understand that by virtue of your appointment as an authorized financial advisor, you have, um, if I can use the word, you have a, a, a little limelight on you to whatever you are saying is being listened to. So you have to consider everything that you, you share with your, your audience um, and, and, and very much stay away from any financial product that you know is not being regulated um, at the moment. Um, and again, whether it's because of the client insisting that it be, be discussed or another advisor introducing it, it doesn't make it suddenly um, allowable. Uh, you just want to steer away from any discussion in, in that space and focus on, on the products that you have experience in, what you have your training with, and, and again, what you have been authorized for.
0: Leroux, reminds me of those cartoons where in the background you can see the advisor and there's a poster that says, ask me about hedge funds. And that starts the conversation about hedge funds. And what you're saying is that, you know, if there's an open door, don't just walk through it, but consider the impact of the things that you are saying, you know, maybe in the office or even over the weekend when you're engaging with with friends, maybe in a social um, setup.
1: Mm. Yes. And that's, if I can, you know, maybe elaborate on why I'm, I'm enjoying your podcast is because, um, your, uh, interest in the, the, um, uh, overall approach of offering holistic financial planning to a client appeals to me very much because, um, if you engage with an individual, um, on, on his, his entire portfolio holistically, um, and you, consult with them at a fee, as an example. Um, it, it, the client is prepared uh, with questions. Um, you've done your homework, This a, is a very much of an engagement where information is exchanged and, and received by, by, by yourself and by the client. Um, whereas as an, as a, just a direct agent, um, you know, your information is blurted out, you know, around the campfire, um, or it's, you know, set in a, in a, in a restaurant context and somebody picks that up and and decides to, to, to you know, engage further based on that, but they don't necessarily understand the the, the, the full picture. That's why, uh, in my opinion, you won't, you won't find a doctor sitting around the campfire, giving medical advice They they want to one-on-one engage with the individual, uh, understand the problem and and you know kind of look them in the eye when they when they give them the advice, knowing that that's specific to that person and they've you know they've taken into account you know holistically what could uh, could be wrong.
0: You mentioned this idea of the doctor saying you know come in to see me so that we can determine what's wrong, and patients and clients are are used to approaching a doctor that way. I'm wondering, what do you see as a compliance officer as the biggest value add that a financial planner can do? And also, how does that maybe differ? Or is it the same as what the man in the street might see a financial planner?
1: I'm going to go back to the previous conversation and I, I'm going to say that, you know, the concept of holistic financial planning, I uh, I, I think for, if I'm the man in the street, um, I go to see a... Um, a general practitioner, um, a doctor, um, I don't run to a specialist and and show them, you know, my knee because, you know, my, my back is sore uh, out of my own free will thinking that, you know, the knee is a problem. I go to a general practitioner, they look at every component and then they determine it is the knee or it might be, might even be the hip. Um, you know, if I can use that analogy, <laughs> but the same applies to a financial advisor. Uh, a financial advisor needs to take everything into account. And, and that also leads into the, the, you know, the discussion of, 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 of the tax uh, implications, uh, to a client. Uh, I think, you know, a financial advisor should have access to a tax specialist, uh, if they themselves don't have the skill, because that's a very big component of that holistic plan, um, to then determine, you know, where the need is. And, and for me, that's, that's where financial advisors um, currently um, are making a big difference in that they're not just advising on one single product. They, they're looking at, at a variety of, of, of products. Whether they offer those products themselves is, is almost irrelevant, but it's identifying those products and then uh, pointing the client in, in the direction which, you know, based on their, their need, would be highest um, and so forth.
0: So this concept of a financial health check – saying, Mr. Client or Mrs. Client, are you okay? And Brett Davidson uh, loves talking about that, saying, you know, your biggest role is showing the client that they're okay. And if they're not okay, helping them figure out how to get there. Just like a GP might say, we found this thing on your skin. Don't worry, we're going to work together to to sort this out.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: Is, is that mindset being implemented in... In the client base that you look after and maybe your interactions with financial planners
1: i'd like to say so yes but unfortunately um it, it, it is uh, traditionally not the case um you know most of our financial advisors have also uh, come from agencies um where they were told to go and sell a specific product uh, and, and and not you know be interested in any, any of the other other components uh, that forms part of, of of the clients you know holistic financial plan. Um, but it, we we often engage with our clients to promote the, the concept of, of consultations with with individuals. And um, you know it 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 is appealing because you know there's no regulation uh, uh limiting the amount that you can charge uh for your consultation with a client. Uh, So, there's potential um, huge income there for for a financial advisor and most of financial advisors aren't just registered for a single product category or product type, they are registered for a variety. Um, They might have a little bit more experience in terms of whether it be the investment space or the life insurance space, but they all are authorized for the rest. Um, So, we encourage that consultation and during that consultation, you know, the client will then have an hour or two hours available to talk you know, and tell them their story as opposed to the financial advisor, you know, not wanting to spend too much time with a client because all they want is they want the signature and that policy or investment must be placed so that they can move on. Um, and again, the, the context might differ. Um, there's definitely a need for, for that approach as well where a client comes and says, you know, I, I only need this to be addressed. Uh, I have somebody else looking after the rest. Please um, just assist me with this. Um, again, there's no, there's, there's no harm in, in, in doing it that way. But um, it, it unfortunately doesn't often happen where the other advisor then looks at it holistically. That other advisor is potentially only just looking at the medical aid or the short term.
0: That's very valuable. Thank you, Larue. What we're seeing in the U.S. in some of the states is that the regulator is asking advisors to provide evidence of the advice that they're delivering and they're also questioning the the amount that they're asking. But what you're saying in South Africa is that there is no upper limit at the moment in terms of what you can ask for your advice. Do you think that might change in the future? And is the regulator looking at that space? Uh,
1: I'm not going to be able to answer on behalf of the regulator. Um, I, I don't know enough, of, uh, in, in terms of that discussion to, to be able to give any insight in the, in, in, in the space. But I do think that, um, uh, you know, South Africa, um, is, as we all know, behind in terms of, of regulation with the rest of the world and our implementation of it. Uh, and having had dealings, uh, with the UK regulator, the FCA, um, they very much open to embracing the, um, the outcomes based and that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, the, 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 conduct of the financial advisor as opposed to, um, trying to focus on, on, on rules based, uh, which, you know, in itself, uh, encourages the client to go after the advisor to go out and see the client, uh, consult with them and not put a prohibition on, on the amount of time you can spend with them or, or the, or the cost there. So I definitely think that in the South African context, um, that is healthy, and I would hope that uh, it's going to stay open and not limit it uh, within the next uh, couple of years.
0: Almost less regulation is more in terms of a free system.
1: Yeah, it's, it's easier to, to, to make sure that the advisor um, is authorized for whatever is needed and that you know we see that with all of the fit and proper requirements coming out, your CPDs, your qualifications, class of business, uh, product training, all of that uh, adds to a more qualified uh, financial advisor. Um, and then, you know, if if you have the assurance that the advisor meets those fit and proper requirements, uh, you know, whatever they may, may be, and even if you bolster them up, it would, um, it would assist, you know, the ability of the financial advisor to have a meaningful discussion with the client. Um, and then you don't have to go and regulate that discussion. Uh, you know, just regulate the actual advisor.
0: Are we getting to a point where regulation is causing advice to be too expensive and are we you know excluding a segment of the market purely because it becomes so onerous to run a financial planning business
1: uh louis i think going back you know to my um initial few years of uh, entering in the financial advice space um you know i was i was astounded to see the lit, the low cost of running a, a, a financial practice um you know I, 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 it, it, my only reference was the software development space uh you know and their um, expense ratio is is far 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 higher yet they have you know very a, a lot fewer infrastructure to to maintain um so and it, it's it's a combination of factors but i just um, it, for, for me, it was a bit of an eye-opener I, I to see how the, um, the financial advisors consider um, expenses within their business. And, and I say that with respect um, for the advisors out there listening because I think – um, you know, consider yourself compare yourself to other businesses out there and, and and then make a determination from there on whether you know it's a big expense. Uh, and then talking about compliance specifically, uh, again, it's a passion of mine, so forgive me for being <laughs> for, for saying this, but you know compliance should form part of your of your of your day to day processes. It's not something you do you know, at the end of the month or at the end of the week, or even worse, employ, employ somebody internally to go through and and, and check the checklists, um, you know, that is required by a compliance officer. Uh, if it's done as part of the business, um, it's no additional cost. Absolutely, I understand, you know, a, a, a paying an external compliance officer, you know, there is uh, financial uh, um, costs involved. Um, having audited financial statements, there's a cost involved. Uh, keeping capital aside, uh, you know, because require, a legislation requires it. Those are all expenses. The problem is, would you do without them if it, if there was no legislation? Would it would it be you know would it not be sensible to have them in place anyway? Um, and then you know, making them part of your day to day processes, uh, you know, instead of seeing it as a burden uh, financially. So absolutely. I, I definitely think that there's scope there and there's an improvement. It is unfortunately just a mindset that we have to change. You you don't start a business and and, and run it from your car anymore. You know, we have entered an age where, you know, we we are giving um professional advice to, to the man in the street and, and they're looking to us uh, you know, to be professional at the same time.
0: It's wonderful to see that we are moving into that professionalization and that people are fighting for professionalization and i'm almost thinking that you know just like we don't have an ethics officer <laughs> someone to come and check that you're ethical uh, you probably shouldn't approach it from a tick box system saying okay let's make sure that we we are compliant and hence this whole shift to the outcome space saying you know if your values and your business is running you know within your framework you should automatically comply absolutely and and
1: you know again if if you streamline the compliance requirements if you cut out the unnecessary uh, um policies or plans that that have no uh, relation to your business or no application uh, you find that what remains is you know, is the inner workings of your business uh, uh you don't see it as a document that is constructed after having given the advice to the client, as an example, uh, it, 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 it forms part of the process. As it map, for instance, is a brilliant example of how that entire process is, is the advice record. Um, you know, the same with, with, with just, you know, keeping good governance within your organization, um, having employment contracts uh, in place. It's not, it shouldn't be a, an exercise that you do at the end of the year, to see, you know, whether your staff have got employment contracts, you know, when you interview them, when you make the offer, you put an employment contract in place and, and that's part of the process, you know.
0: Larue, what is next for Etude? What's happening in the compliance world and where are you making a difference?
1: We, uh, we often laugh between the two of us. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm very excited uh, for the compliance world. I don't know if I share everybody's sentiments of that. But, uh, I, you know, we, we, we've got uh, the great things planned. Uh, at the moment, we, um, we, we're looking to um, integrate the um, uh, conduct of business within an FSP in our operations, uh, you know, and the way we monitor and sample our clients. Uh, We want to move as far away as possible from from having checklists um, and having more meaningful discussions with our clients where they can explain to us uh, through a platform of sorts how it is that they do specific things within their organization. So in other words, you know, we want to be at a point where when we monitor a client, they tell us how they run the business. Uh, We can critique them on that, but, you know, by them conveying that information through to us, that in itself is confirmation of the process and we then assist them to just then formalize that. So one of the ways we, we, we're doing that is by um, integrating what we call a, a risk register. Uh, it's effectively just a, a risk management plan, which most advisors uh, um, would be very um, uh, familiar with, um, You know, containing um, relevant questions uh, that pertains to their business and how they comply to specific registration. Uh, but then rating those, um, based on, um, likelihood and, and consequence, coming up with a, a risk factor and then having the discussions with the client or the FSP based on those, um, items or questions that, um, are high risk, uh, first and then going down and, and, you know, addressing as, as you, as you go through the, through the calendar year, uh, whereas in the past, you know, you've, you've got set deliverables, you've got, uh, statutory returns that need to be submitted, uh, and those would trigger certain things. Um, but, you know, have, waiting until the financial year end to, to review your management accounts, um, you know, is not sound business practice. You know, that should be done at the beginning of every month and, and budgeting and et cetera. So, yeah, uh, having a, a fully integrated risk-based uh, um, an outcomes-based uh, system where we monitor clients and sample them uh, is what you can expect from us in the, in the next couple of months.
0: Brilliant, Leru. Thank you for moving the financial planning industry forward and helping the clients move into an era where they can focus on their business and running a better business, more sustainable, because ultimately it means that they can serve more customers, more clients in a better way. If people want to reach out to you and get hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, the best way would be
1: via our website, uh, just justetude.co.za. Uh, all of our information is on there. Um, we're also uh, quite happy to give out our, our direct uh, telephone numbers, uh, but everything is on our website if they do want to reach out to us.
0: Brilliant. We'll add a link in the show notes, and I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Louis. It's been an absolute pleasure.